finally, we get to bring you our report of the annual WEF meeting at Davos. And just like you would expect, according to the global supervillains, the solutions to the world's problems are Marxism, statism, and scientism. They also took special interest in free speech and its regulation, which makes perfect sense because the more people can speak freely and honestly, the more their lies are exposed and people stop believing them. Now, one of those lies is the climate cult alarmism. And we don't have to go all the way to Switzerland for that. No, no, no. We have our own homebrew, our own craft climate beverage, if you will. And how does it go down? Bitter. Very, very bitter. You have to remember, the antidote to globalism is thinking locally and focusing on your smaller communities, your family, your church, your city. The antidote to lies and propaganda is the truth, and we must be willing to speak it boldly and clearly, even when that brings with it a high cost. It's worth it. It always is. It's February 1st. I'm Andrew Bartolo. That's Matt Halleck, and this is Liberty Dispatch. Hey, hey, and welcome back to Liberty Dispatch, podcasting across enemy lines into the Canadian culture war. Easy for me to say. As always, our program is brought to you in partnership by Liberty Coalition Canada and Christian Week. LCC exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and defend those who stand. And Christian Week exists to bring you practical, balanced, hope-filled news and analysis on global issues uh, from a Christian perspective. Uh, If you want to support our work uh, through the podcasting, we would ask that you would go over to libertycoalitioncanada.com slash donate and click on the analysis shows box and you can give to the work that we're doing if you if you value it, we would really appreciate that. Um, and you can leave uh, what is a tax refundable donation over there at libertycoalitioncanada.com slash donate. You can also scan that helpful QR code at the bottom and it'll take you right there. And be aware that you can leave um, an anonymous Bitcoin donation through Bitcoin. So we would encourage you to do that if that is your thing. As always, we are on the... Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, flfnetwork.com. Go over there, check us out. You can also get us on Google Play or the Google App Store, the Apple App Store as well um, with their new Pub TV app. So we would suggest that you do do that because you can get us as well as many other wonderful podcasts like our friends at Leadership Now, uh, Dr. Rock, and uh, Ezra Institute, there's a lot of good Canadian content over there as well as much coming from our friends in the United States of America. Andrew, before we get in the mailbag question of the day, I have to issue an yeah. apology. As and we the guy- want, and we want, but before that, we also just want to make everyone know that if you listened to our shows last week, you might think I died at some point in the middle of our show that <laughs> I suddenly died here. and then was miraculously risen from the dead. Yes. I in fact did not die. I'm okay. Yes. Everything's fine. <laughs> yes. My, as the person who produces and edits the content here, um, sometimes things get by me. And the funny part is Andrew, 
the edit didn't get by me because they got by me originally. And then I saw, oh, shoot, I have to cut out this area. So then I went back and I did it and I recompressed the audio. But my problem is I deleted the good one <laughs> and kept the bad one and uploaded the bad one. So that was foolish on my part. Um, sorry for your for our listeners uh, to hear you have a coughing fit. Um, yes. You know, if, if only they could see how many minutes of coughing and violent, <laughs> you know, throat clearly you did that actually didn't tears. make it in. Yeah. And I'm hunched over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Begging. I actually cut out a lot of it despite what you mm. actually heard. So, um, so really we apologies. did you a treat audience. We really, <laughs> yeah. we really, we're we're nothing if not authentic, and I don't apologize because of our reputations. You all know we're uh, wretches, we're fools, we're goofs anyway, um, but I do apologize because obviously the listening experience isn't so great when there's four minutes of coughing going on, so apologies uh andrew as we uh attack globalism and its uh its leaders today head on what is our mailbag question for the day mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com i'm just curious if anyone took in any of the wef sessions at davos if they watched anything on youtube if they were following coverage from either true north or rebel news if that's the case then I would be curious to know, minus what you're going to hear on this episode, what are your thoughts? What was particularly concerning? Was there something about Davos this year that you heard, that you read, that you saw, that was worrisome, something that stood out to you? You can hit us up at mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com. We would love to hear more about your thoughts on WEF. So yeah, you can, uh, you can do that. You know, if you're using MailChimp, HubSpot, or Salesforce for email marketing, CRM, and sales, you probably know they've been canceling Voices of Freedom and Truth. That's why we at Liberty Coalition Canada have switched to Sales Nexus. Sales Nexus is a complete business marketing and sales solution that won't tell you what you should say or believe. You can try it yourself at salesnexus.com and you get two users for the price of one with the promo code LIBERTY. That is salesnexus.com. Use that promo code LIBERTY. So two weeks ago was the annual WEF meeting in Davos, Switzerland. And as you would expect, behind the veneer of human well-being <laughs> and justice and the future of humankind lies the evil agenda that's ultimately hell-bent on destroying the West limiting freedoms, and ultimately harming humans who are made in the image of God and seeing about the end or bringing about the end of Christianity. Mm -hmm. So the meeting this year kicked off with Dr. Evil himself, Klaus Schwab. Now here's a little bit of a, an interview kind of pre-Davos. So this is him being interviewed before everything kicks off, and we've spliced it together with a little bit of his opening session. And the reason why... We've put these clips together the way that we have is I want you to pay attention and see if you can spot the schizophrenia in his words because he's going to be saying something and then he's going to be saying something right after it. And if you're wise, you're going to be able to say, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. How was that possible? And if you happen to miss it, don't worry, we will we'll drag it out into the light when the <laughs> video clip is done. 
But try to pay attention and ask yourself the question, what is it about these, it's three clips, two are spliced together at the same pre-interview, but what is it about everything he's saying here that if I if I think critically, it doesn't really fit, doesn't really make sense. It seems like he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Have a watch. I think it's very, very important. Um, the participation of Premier Li Chang could exactly be placed into this framework of rebuilding trust because, um, as you know, um, uh, there are many doubts at the moment whether China really could master all those challenges or is at the beginning of a fast slowing down phase of its economic growth. So to hear uh, Premier Li Chang um, speaking about the prospects of Chinese economy and the role China will play inside the global economy, I think uh, can restore and rebuild to a large extent, not only growth into China, but growth into our global uh, system. Now, why did we choose the theme or the motto uh, rebuilding trust? If we compare the world uh, today with the world before uh, we had the COVID pandemics, we, we find a completely different mood. First, um, uh, the world has become very fearful um, very fragmented, of course, um, and um, in such a situation, um, trust has vanished. We have lost trust to a certain extent in each another because we all have become under the pressure of the crisis, of the multiple crises, we have become more egoistic. Mm -hmm. So, um, and if you are more egoistic, you think first of yourself, and this distorts an atmosphere of trust. So if we want to recreate, and that's the objective of the annual meetings this year, we want to recreate a new spirit, a much more constructive spirit. Mm -hmm. Again, looking forward and having confidence in our future. And that's the reason why we have uh, chosen this theme um, rebuilding trust. As trustees of the future, we are responsible for advancing a world which is richer in possibilities, more equitable in opportunities, and more secure in its foundations. Moreover, as leaders in government, business, and society, we bear a particular responsibility to rebuild trust in how we assume our own role as trustees. The annual meeting of the World Economic Forum is not a collective decision-making body, but its impact stems from the new insights gained through dialogue and interaction, and more importantly, from the commitments made by each participant to contribute more significantly in their respective areas of responsibility to solving our most pressing 
issues. So, pause the video, recollect your, collect your thoughts, go over, watch it again, ask yourself, what was going on there? I'm going to give you, okay, a couple seconds, Nicole's do that now, <laughs> because now I'm going to... Now I'm going to give you the answer, okay? Mm -hmm. So the answer is what we need is we need China to come to the table, right? That's what we need. We need China. They're, they're a big player in this, which is something, Matt, you and I have talked about before, the the apparent contradictory goals or the the power struggle between China and the WEF. Mm -hmm. and And it's almost as if, they're not really working together. But here you have Dr. Evil saying, no, China needs to come to the table. They're essential for the future. And then over here, he's saying, what we need to do is we need to focus on rebuilding trust because everyone has only thought about themselves. They become egoistic. So we need to rebuild trust. Now, here's what's wild about this. Probably the most untrustworthy state in the world would be the Chinese Communist, the Communist Chinese Party. Mm -hmm. Probably the one that can be trusted the least yeah. because they lied about the origins of the virus, COVID-19. They mm -hmm. lied about its release. They lied about its presence. They let people go from China to other parts of the world knowing it was going on. They lied about how it's transmitted. They lied about their numbers. They're engaged in all sorts of cyber warfare around the world they have invested lots of money into our own canadian government so here is a very untrustworthy and if you want to think about a nation that only thinks about itself again i'm not mm -hmm. talking about chinese people i'm talking about the communist chinese party the ruling class mm -hmm. if you want to think about a nation that's only thinking about its own interests that is a leader in pollution in order to, to, to meet its own goals. That is fiercely no one's more nationalistic, right? The no one's more egoistic than the CCP. Yeah. And no one's more untrustworthy than the CCP. And yet they're the ones that are essential to our global future. And mm -hmm. they need to be brought to the table because the problem is we don't, we're not trust. We've lost trust and we're too egoistic. Those yeah. are two. Those are two very different things. Well, and the signification of, of, of our, our world is a part of this this kind of global plan, right? If you want to beat China, you got to be China. And um, there's this dialectical, like, uh, all unbelieving thought, Andrew, jumps irrationally between two poles, between dialecticism, um, between irrationalism on one hand and irrationalism on the other. The kind of uh, WEF economical model is the dialectic inversion, um, kind of the, the opposite, but of the same kind, to the Chinese model, right? Ch China is actually ostensibly um, a well. It's it's a communist system with with actually a fascistic model of e mm -hmm. econ economics. Um, yeah, they're trying to combine the worst of all the greatest evils yes, together yes, to make it successful. <laughs> WEF and it, we're like what we're seeing in the West is corporate increase in corporatism. Well, that's fascism. So we have a fascistic model where we're infusing uh, 
communist social and cultural categories into our culture. So it's like we're an inverse of what China is. And the fusing of both communism and fascism uh, is this you know, the yin and the yang converging. This is the the new synthesis that ultimately these global elites are trying to produce. So, yes, there's a little bit of Which tension there. Which we're going to be seeing more of in some of these clips. Yes, there's a little bit of tension, yeah. but for these globalist elites who are, you know, essentially young Hegelians in their philosophy, they view this as the necessary tension that plays out in, in the history, the antithesis that then leads to a synthesis that will then lead to a greater human evolution and philosophy in philosophy, economics and human flourishing in life. So that's this tension exists and you can hear it in Klaus, um, but that is nevertheless where they're going. Going. Interesting, yeah. Andrew, before we move on, we have so much to cover. I do need to let you move on. It's interesting to see, and I want our, our listeners to take courage. This is reputation. The, the fact that they have to have a conference on rebuilding trust shows you that it is a reputation building conference because they mm -hmm. were going about this stuff for decades on end without anybody noticing and i there was also contradiction andrew in what he said that you didn't point out but that i i noticed he said this is not a global uh, the wef is not a decision making body globally but it's a it's where all global leaders and trustees and their <laughs> positions get together and then what what did he say so it's not it's not binding right we're not making decisions for the whole world but the trustees that are here which are global elites in business and politics they make commitments that then they mm -hmm. take back to their home countries and then they smuggle in so the wef agenda is getting done across the world in both business and government despite it not being uh, binding because it's the old inside outside it really game it really is about. the penultimate it is the penultimate bureaucracy oh that yeah. it really does control all the levers of power Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have any official elected power behind it. No one actually said you're in charge of anything. Mm -hmm. But because of the people and the money and the influence, it actually is the bureaucracy. It, it is it is the globalist deep state. Yeah. Is what the and, WEF and is. It really does all the work. That is essentially what Klaus Schwab is. He's a power broker, right? He he puts powerful people in the same room, in the same plane, in the same like he brings powerful people from all walks of life together in order that they can um, be the mm -hmm. master planners of our society and our future. Mm -hmm. The problem, which we will see, is the fact and that you can't master. He, bring, he brings them. He brings yeah. them together with prostitutes. You got to well. keep. You got to so, keep these corrupt bureaucrats and business so people the, uh, happy. The whole theme. The whole theme of this year's uh, WF meeting was rebuilding trust. Mm -hmm. Now. Speaking of leaders we can't trust, here's our very own Deputy <laughs> ah, Prime Minister, Christian Freeland. Segue. Now, um, at the WEF in Davos, they had escorts offering their services to the elites there in order to make them happy. So here, here we're uh, going to see a clip of our Deputy Prime Minister, Christian Freeland, who's, gonna, who's willing to offer up Canada 
as mm-hmm. as a whore to the globalists. That's mm-hmm. that's that's her play. Her play is Canada will be offered up and Canada's services will be made available for the globalists, while at the mm-hmm. same time, this will result in policies and practices that will crush our economy and destroy industries. But it'll be good for Canada because it'll ultimately be good for the world. And if it's good for the world, it's good for Canada, even though it's really, really bad for Canada. So here is another very untrustworthy leader, ironically speaking, at an event that's about rebuilding trust. Remember, she froze bank accounts Mm -hmm. and clearly has some sort of psychological twitch thing going on that really she does really need some help regarding this. But but here she is. Here's Here's a portion of her sharing at one of the panels. Andrew, at least the escorts have the good wisdom to get paid. There are sort of two dominant economic trends that have a bearing on trade and investment right now. One is a focus on supply chain resilience, and that is just a reality. After the shock that we all experienced during COVID with things shut down, our people Which was your fault, are just by the way. And a little more security in their supply chains. That was their and fault. The other thing that's going on <laughs> we, we. is this is a hugely transformative moment in the whole global economy. Uh, I think. Guess that who's right read now, the Great Reset? A moment <laughs> which is comparable only to the Industrial Revolution itself. I in mean, terms of another industrial revolution, eh? And the fourth industrial revolution. All of our Who wrote that book? That is huge. Canada's strategy, Borgay, is to say, look at these two trends and let's see how we can use them to play to Canada's strengths. And that's how do we do a great reset in Canada? A lot that's that what that she means. Canada can offer to the world in this moment. You know, Here it is. Here's Canada, the escort. The critical minerals and metals that you need to build mm-hmm. a green economy. We have a lot of clean energy. 85% of our grid is already clean, and we are investing heavily in building more clean energy. We are a country that believes in manufacturing, has manufacturing know-how and capacity. And then you guys spoke about industrial policy. You know, the thing that is new about industrial policy is we are developing our economies, growing our economies at a time when we also need to accomplish the green transition. And I spoke yesterday to a very significant international business leader. You know, it's funny, I just noticed this about her. She feels way more comfortable speaking to to all these globalists than she does addressing the the citizens of her own country. Isn't it amazing? She seems right at home here. But when she's speaking to Canadians, she's all nervous and stuff. It's kind of sad. I mean, these are her people, right? That's the, that's yeah. why she feels comfortable. Um, I, I don't know who said it. I, I think it's been mentioned a bunch of times, but all these globalists elite with globalization taking hold and a lot of these people being uh, built, despite their different national influences, being shaped by the same institutions because uh, they all go to the same schools. They are all participate in the same uh, leadership conferences, all these things. They are more um, at home 
with mm-hmm. each other having these conversations than they are talking to the average citizen um, who they're supposedly supposed to represent. Um, and they, I, I mean, brilliant point, Andrew. It comes out especially when, mm-hmm. when you're seeing her talk here. Does not mean deindustrialization. I thought that was an extremely smart comment. And Canada is absolutely determined that decarbonization for us will mean more jobs, more growth, more manufacturing. And we recognize government needs to play a role to make that There it is. Yep. So we've set up a $15 billion government fund run by professional investors from a Canadian pension fund. And I hope you Mm -hmm. know Canadian pension funds, they're geniuses, the best in the world. So the people that we think are best suited to handle money We've put in charge of $15 billion of our citizens' tax dollars. Mm-hmm. What? To essentially crush Canada's economy. So well done. So that's um, <sighs> this, by the way, is why sure. we can't trust elites like this. Yeah. Because what they're actually committed to is the destruction of capitalism and the destruction of democracy mm-hmm. and putting in its place socialism. Mm-hmm. So the reason, so I now invited and i i was kind of amazed when i when i saw this and i saw the the clips and the recaps but they actually invited newly <laughs> elected argentinian president javier millier mm-hmm. to speak now i don't know why i don't know what like i don't know what what's what the play is here i'm trying to figure this they're out they're trying to rebuild trust um, andrew and, yeah, and having guess, a, a, is this and cap guy <laughs> yeah is uh, this, come is this on. their way of is this their way of uh, kind of warding off the sniffing dogs who who are looking for for drugs? Like, no, 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 we're good here. Look, this guy, he's he's a scarecrow that keeps. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, but here's a guy. It seems like the sort of guy I can trust a little bit, at least a little bit more than the ghouls we've seen so far. So let's. I, I want to play you some clips from his speech at Davos, which was clearly different than every other single one. That happened two weeks ago. Yeah, I love that he went to Davos, just like slap all the people there in the face. It was good. If free enterprise capitalism and economic freedom have proven to be extraordinary instruments to end poverty in the world, and we are now at the best time in the history of humanity, it is worth asking why. I say that the West is endangered. And I say this precisely because in those of our countries that should defend the values of the free market, private property, and the other institutions of libertarianism, sectors of the political and economic establishment, some due to mistakes in their theoretical framework and others due to a greed for power, are undermining the foundations of libertarianism, opening up the doors to socialism and potentially condemning us to poverty, It should never be forgotten that socialism is always and everywhere an impoverishing phenomenon that has failed in all countries where it's been tried out. It's been a failure economically, socially, culturally, and it also murdered over a hundred million human beings. Fortunately, already started to go along this path. I know to many it may sound ridiculous to suggest that the West has turned to socialism, but it's only ridiculous if you only limit yourself to the traditional economic definition of socialism, which says that it's an economic system where the state owns the means of production. This definition 
in my view, should be updated in the light of current circumstances. Today, states don't need to directly control the means of production to control every aspect of the lives of individuals. Impoverishment produced by collectivism is no fantasy, nor is it an inescapable fate. But it's a reality that we Argentines know very well. Do not be intimidated, intimidated either by the political caste or by parasites who live off the state. Do not surrender to a political class that only wants to stay in power and retain its privileges. You are social benefactors. You're heroes. You're the creators of the most extraordinary period of prosperity we've ever seen. Let no one tell you that your ambition is immoral. If you make money, it's because you offer a better product at a better price, thereby contributing to general well-being. Do not surrender to the advance of the state. The state is not the solution. The state is the problem itself. You are the true protagonists of this story. And rest assured that as from today, Argentina is your staunch, unconditional ally. Thank you very much, and long live freedom. Damn it. <laughs> Man, I love it. Does someone, can someone, so I'm just, I want, I want to, I want to, can some doctor in Argentina please check him to make sure that he's not coming down with the case of the Epstein suicide? Can someone make sure that he's not going to end up Make sure it's not a Canadian doctor yeah. because they might Ma kill make him. Make sure make sure he doesn't shoot himself in the head with an extra long 50 caliber uh, <laughs> round sniper rifle from 100 feet away make sure he does by pulling make sure he doesn't do that every like that's how was he not how are they not booing like yeah. why were they not why were they not lifting up their stones to 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 throw at him the yeah. state is not the answer that is the exact opposite of everything you would hear. Well, that, so that's that guy, that's that, fantastic. That well, that that's that's the that's ultimately the um that is the 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 huge juxtaposition between what Melie is saying there and what Christia Freeland's saying in her in her rambling um, that. I guess passes for wisdom at, at these sort of things. In her surprisingly twitchless, incoherent yeah. drivel, she didn't have to yeah. do coke, uh, or she didn't do coke before the. Uh, yeah. No, anyways, it, 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 what she's saying is, we must, the government must manage, command, and control the economic future of Canada. And we, as th th those who have set ourselves up as benefactors over the Canadian economy, play a big role in the globalist economy that we're envisioning for this fourth industrial revolution that she's, she's talking about. Um, what Javier Mille uh, understands is government, the command and control governments are always not only tyrannical not only freedom destroying but poverty poverty inducing they destroy mm -hmm. wealth they destroy dynamism because and they actually actual actual um their actual deterrence to the good kind of progress yes they absolutely. don't actually drive they don't drive any progress in medicine mm. technology education no. nothing no. all they do is they cause regression not because progression. because uh, as Hayek uh, as von Mises uh, have uh, have pointed out 
Um, there's a cal- there's a knowledge problem, right? It's uh, uh, Hayek's book, The Fatal Conceit, is the the fatal conceit of central planners of globalists like Christia Freeland is that you can control and command an economy with a a small cadre of really elite, even very intelligent people. But the problem is you have a severe knowledge gap. And what von von Mises actually pointed out is you actually have um, a calculation problem that even uh, if socialism could theoretically, like it can't even theoretically work because you can't actually come up with genuine market prices if you don't have a free market. So uh, Millet's right. Socialism destroys economies wherever it goes because it destroys the incentive structures that are at the heart of the dynamism of a free market mm-hmm. society, which is not a made-up, socially constructed thing. This has to be told to people on the right because, you know, I've heard a lot of kind of the new right talk about how, well, maybe capitalism doesn't create the right society, so we have to rethink of the pro. But what they fail to understand as well is the free market system is not a human convention. It's God's market system. It's mm-hmm. it's the it's the principles of sowing and reaping. It's the the created norms that God's created for human interaction and trade and 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 a positive uh, of loving your neighbor, of yes. putting your needs the needs of your neighbor above your own, exactly. of doing what's good it, for it, the welfare of your neighbor. And it and it takes human avarice and greed, and then it, it centers it around service of neighbor and the well being of others in order to make that buck. This is how God's created the world to function, and so it's not just it's not as though we're we can say oh we're picking one system over another system. What? Christia Freeland and all these globalists are doing is they're literally doing the very thing that will destroy human flourishing and the economy because it is contra God's created order. Capitalism, it's been, that was named by Marx. It's it's not a proper name. It's a derogatory name for what free yeah. market and free market vo- voluntary yep. voluntary exchanges. We need to stand firmly on that and and back it up and say no to these insane idiot global planners who are going to destroy our economy both nationally and globally if we allow them to get yeah. their way. So when we when we think about some of this madness we we have to highlight and so what the people that we partner with at liberty coalition canada mm-hmm. are not just the people who are silly enough and willing enough to partner <laughs> with us because we fooled them with mm-hmm. gorgeous looks and a smooth voice mm-hmm. and charming charismatic although that's all true that's all yeah. like yeah. that played a big part of true. it yeah yeah i mean there's just no way around it mm-hmm. i'm a very handsome, very charming man that can work my way well in business negotiations. That's just, we're there. I, I'm cutting this but, out of the podcast. But it's so not, everybody. it's not, no, 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 please don't. This is a moment of raw honesty here. So that's not why we have the partners that we do. The reason is because what we believe and what we value and what we think are important principles, anyone who's willing to align themselves with us, knowing that it could bring a measure of shade and harm upon them is a friend of ours. And chances are they have all the same values as well. 
And so one of the things that we need to think about in this ever globalizing world is the economy, our finances, our money, our resources, our savings. And so it's it's always a pleasure for us to talk about the friends who partner with us because we think they're doing the kind of work that will be good for the well-being of Canadians. So if you feel, and I'm sure you should be feeling it more as we're looking at the WEF and their agenda in infiltrating economies and countries, if you feel that governments and big banks are too involved in your finances, then Bitcoin just might be the solution for you. Bitcoin is the antithesis of central bank digital currencies. It is decentralized digital cash that puts you in full control of your money. With Bitcoin, you don't have to worry about government interference or banks censoring you in any way. As a freedom advocate, you know the importance of individual liberty and responsibility. Bitcoin is the ultimate expression of those values, enabling you to take control of your financial destiny and make transactions that align with your beliefs. So, whether you're an experienced Bitcoiner or just getting started, Bull Bitcoin is the perfect place to buy and sell Bitcoin. Don't wait any longer to take control of your money. Sign up today at mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC and do not hesitate to contact their human customer support for any assistance from the get-go. Mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. Connect with them today. Absolutely. Well, Andrew, the economy wasn't only a focus of Davos. As you made mention in the intro, free speech and censorship was on the radar. So the villains at Davos uh, seem to be absolutely committed to battling what they call dis and misinformation and doing everything they can in conjunction with big tech, national governments, what have you, to limit freedom of speech in the name of, get this, Andrew, protecting free speech. So we want to play another clip. This is from Julie Inman Grant, Australia's e-safety commissar. I said, I know it says commissioner, but commissar. More and accurate. Her <laughs> yeah. And her title alone tells you exactly everything that you need to know. So let's see what Air Julie has for us here. <laughs> Finding ourselves in a place um, where we're, we have increasing polarization <laughs> everywhere and everything feels binary when it doesn't need to be. So I think we're going to have to think about a recalibration of a whole range of human rights that are playing out online, you know, from freedom of speech to the freedom. You pause to, for a sec, Matt, you know, to be free from on online. I just want to say here very, very quickly, you're going to hear that word come up more than once from more than one person. Recalibration. Yeah. You're going to hear that word. Recalibration. <laughs> it's going to just keep your ears open. You're going to hear it a few more times before we're done today. Cor corporate speech is like the new language of our our modern tyrants. Like, the, like I, I think it's because they're such dullards that they have to use like buzz buzzwords constantly in order to get their points across. Um, so th they just jump 
you know, every fifth word is a buzzword that they can, that they know resonates with their hearers. <laughs> they end up saying virtually nothing a lot of the time that you couldn't say in like 10, 10 words, but at least they get all the buzzwords in there. Anyways, let's continue. Violence or the uh, right of data protection to the right to child dignity. We've just issued one against uh, X Corp around online hate where we were able to really get a sense of the extent to which they, they cut their safety engineers by 80%, their um, content moderators by 30%, their public policy people by 70%, and then they enabled um, previously suspended users. So it's like, you know, so notice what she's saying. She's attacking a private corporation for who they are choosing to staff. So unless, in her mindset, Andrew, unless you have this unbelievably expensive internal bureaucracy in every single organization, you're not doing what you have to do as a corporation mm -hmm. to battle mis- and disinformation. Um, it's, it's perverse. It's gross. And she's saying, well, it was indicative of them not doing enough to battle mis- and disinformation to put back users who were suspended while seemingly not talking about how they were suspended through the collusion of big tech and government, the direct mm -hmm. collusion, which is anti-free speech to its mm -hmm. core of these, the and it's fascistic. Let's just be honest about it. Um, but nevertheless, that's the type of that's the type of world that they're envisioning when they're talking about regulating and recalibrating uh, mm -hmm. free speech, <laughs> recalibrating the word free. Uh, that's what they're doing. Volvo firing their designers, their engineers, and then not letting the traffic infraction people and the ambulance in while putting all these dangerous drivers back on the road. You're creating a perfect storm for online hate. So there are lots of different tools in the toolbox that we'll be using differently. But ultimately, the aim is transparency to achieve accountability and to get companies to raise their safety standards so people can have safer, more positive experiences no, I think, online. I, I think that is the bottom line. I'm going to... We've used our transparency powers um, to really find out what's happening under the hood. Um, what technologies are you using? What are you doing or not doing to scan for child sexual abuse or um, tech terrorist content? ...with True North in Canada. I'm just one wondering Pause when you talked about recalibrating free speech a couple of years. Yeah, they want to they want to do everything they can to root out child sexual abuse, except when it's them, though. Well, exactly when when it, when it when it when it's them that are involved in sex trafficking, when it's them who are involved in pedophilia, when it's all their mm -hmm. friends who are engaged in all sorts of sexual deviancy, then that's that we're not after that. And what we're really it, after is we're after everyone else. And it should be noted, um, right when when the whole Twitter files thing came out, um, and it was exposed at who was who was part of the safety team, so called at Twitter. Um, it there was a homosexual who had all sorts of um, uh, pornography. He had an account where he was talking about having sex with young boys, all sorts of things. So the the person who is literally in charge of tw Twitter's <laughs> safety um, is literally um, posting a, a part of. Uh, sexual deviant behavior that directly harms children that Julie doesn't seem concerned at uh, at all. Mm -hmm. What she's concerned at, of is that um, 
that uh, Elon Musk is going to allow for freedom of speech on the X platform. (laughs) That's really what she's after. That's terrible. Um, Yeah. That's awful. That's awful. And and, in this this little clip here, this is Andrew Lawton who actually hunted her down Mm -hmm. outside of the, the, the Davos sessions. And he's asking for clarification about specifically, what did you mean by recalibrating free speech? And so he, he 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 comes at her and it's it's very informative interaction. Years ago, what were you referring to? I am talking about balancing a range of rights that everyone has a right to online. Where do you think freedom of expression online should be limited? When it undermines other people's freedom of expression and causes significant harm. But that's all I have to say. But that's a subjective term. Like, who's to adjudicate what harm is? Is it governments? Well, actually, it is a, the government drew the line on what the threshold was, and an investigation is um, taken when somebody reports to a platform when it doesn't conform to their terms of service. They come to us to adjudicate. Do you believe that the First Amendment has too high a bar for the online era? The First Amendment does not apply in Australia. I know, but you're an American, so I thought in general, as, as a standard for freedom of expression, do you think that's too high of one? No, I don't, I don't apply that. I apply my, the laws of the Australian government that the parliamentarians um, provided and the thresholds they provided, and it's measured against those thresholds. Thank you. So the answer is yes, yes, yeah. yeah it's interesting about, I think, I think what, uh, what Andrew Lawton did a good job of is, and I don't, I don't even know if this is necessarily his intention, but she was getting ready to walk away. She's like, I don't have anything else to say. You know what drew her back in? The simple question. But it's the state that should step in and save the day. And she just couldn't help herself. Yeah, she's she like, was yes, ready to go. Yes, like, yes but Andrew. Like, but, who, but is it the state that gets to arbitrate and define what, what free speech mm-hmm. is and, and what it means to regulate? And she's just, of course it is. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely which, it is. It is the state that must step in and tell you what to do and what you can and can't say. She's just which, waiting for it. Which is the exact inversion yeah. of what the, freedom the answer, of speech Yeah, means. the answer is God. <laughs> yeah. God gets to define. But, yeah. and, and, but and, and she's saying, no, we do. Yeah, no, no, no. And, and freedom of speech was the reason we have laws about freedom of speech in governments, like on our books as laws of the mm-hmm. land, was because of the propensity for governments to curtail speech. Yeah. And what she's it wasn't saying, so you can say whatever you want in Starbucks. It wasn't so that you can say whatever you want in yeah. in, in university campuses. That you're you're right. That ideally, it was giving the citizens the freedom to speak out, even in ways that were a dissenting opinion and critical of their own governments to yes. be free from the government arresting and punishing them for being critical and open and bold in their speech. And you're right that what she's saying is, well, now we get to determine what's free speech. No, no, no. It exists so that we can criticize you apart from your determination or punishment. Yeah. And it, apparently subjective discomfort is enough to warrant the curtailing of free speech in her opinion. No, thank you, Commissar Julie. No, thank you. Um, anyways, she's not the only uh, villain in this story. Uh, here we have Alexandra Reeve Givens. Again, there we are, Andrew, we are going through a period of matriarchal tyranny. 
um, it, yes. where the tyrants of our age are really leaning on feminine sensibilities to tyrannize. Yep. And there's a, and it's not just societies. the feminine sensibilities. It's and I've I remember reading a book, um, The United States of Fear. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he talked about, it's a little tiny book by uh, an American. One of the things he talked about is that the way parents deal with kids is if you have a kid who's doing something dangerous or coming home because they've hurt themselves, generally speaking, a dad, again, who's not a monster, I mean, he's compassionate, but look at it and say, listen, he broke his arm, he sprained his ankle, it happens. Kids get hurt. There's risks in the world. A dad will say, you don't, you want, you don't want to know the stuff I did when I was younger, right? I'm alive. <laughs> yeah. You take you, the world's a, a messy place. It's a risky place. You get hurt. It's okay. You'll be fine. A bruise will be good for him. It'll be, he'll, he'll, it'll, you know, it'll toughen him up. Whereas mom overprotective mother hen is no, we need to do everything in our power to have no injury, no risk, no illness, nothing, helmets, full body mm-hmm. equipment for riding a scooter. And so what, what we see in this matriarchy is that is a world governed by states that are saying this of its people. We're going to do everything we can to protect you and keep you safe and free from harm and make sure that no bad befalls you. But really what they're doing is they're destroying freedom by treating people as children mm-hmm. and not allowing them to be responsible and controlling every little thing mm-hmm. to try to make sure that nothing bad happens according to them. Well, and so they're, it, they're leaning into that. It's interesting too. I'm reading uh, uh, Gilder's book, men and marriage right now. I've been meaning to read it for a long time, but he talks about how it's necessary to sub for the good of civilization. It's necessary to subordinate men's sexuality to the superior sexual being who is woman uh, because they they have the ability to give life uh, that their their long-term horizons for nurturing um, children is is much more civilization inducing than men's short-term uh you know, a time horizon. Um, but the opposite is true economically, right? We want to subordinate women's need for safety and nurturing and stuff to the man's control. desire f- and, and control. control. We got to, that word's important control and yes. making sure to mitigate and everything so that it's all very, all within their, it's all within their, their their control and their mm-hmm. everything's very nicely put together so nothing's unknown and nothing's uncomfortable and nothing's unsafe mm-hmm. there's a whole psychology going on there yeah so uh, so the opposite is true when it comes to to economics is we have to subordinate the women's disposition sensibility uh, as the weaker sex created in the image of god to the man's dynamism um, now, both sexes play a role, right? You know, in uh, economically speaking, when when a man gets married um, and has to provide for his family, he becomes more productive, longer term thinking. He's forced to settle down, and that's but benefit for his, his civilization. So, mm-hmm. in that sense, uh, the the dynamism and sensibilities of man, economically speaking, for free market interaction are 
curtailed by the superiority of women sexually and together they're complementary and beneficial Mm. of creating human civilization and that's a good thing anyways that was a total aside let's get back i want to before we get on though i need to i just want to be clear that some people might be listening thinking oh i didn't understand that these guys are a bunch of patriarchal sexist misogynists i just but i just want to clearly say all we're doing is we are exposing the very real extremes that exist. And so we're not mm-hmm. saying that all women all the time and all have this 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 crazy tendency to be utter control freaks, manipulators. That's not the case. No. What we do understand is that it's the it's the it that's the feminine extreme, which mm-hmm. is which is what we see. There's a reason why stereotypes exist. We see this character, you know, we see this caricature in movies and in media. That's the feminine extreme. And the male extreme would be risk and with no no regard for for well-being or self-interest where a man a man will work 80 hours a week it'll destroy his marriage it'll destroy his kids it'll blow up his family he'll 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 die at 50 with, with a with a quadruple you know a heart attack and he, so the male extreme is this kind of aggressive trailblazing initiating passionate risky and it and it doesn't matter the, the the consequence to him or his family which is also a severe problem so this is why it's it's good as you brought up that the the two halves of the sexual spectrum will actually will, will help to bring in one another from the extremes where a man who's prone to you know whatever needs to be done without the regard for the safety and the well-being We'll have a woman pull him in and say, no, 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 no. You need to be a little bit more responsible, a little more careful. You need to be meek. You have to have controlled strength. Whereas a man hopefully will help to bring in the extreme in his wife and say, you can't, it can't just be safety all the time. We can't just walk around with helmets and, and, and full body suits. And our, our, we can't have our kids in a bubble that hopefully they can help to balance Mm-hmm. one another and, so and that's not, that's what i'm talking about the complementary realities yeah yeah we're just talking about absolutely. realities of men and women and how left left to the extreme it can become these things we're not mm-hmm. saying that this is what women are all the time we need each other silly folks. yeah <laughs> I, my <laughs> wife isn't that way so i would be foolish yeah. me to say this is how women are yeah, anyway yeah. so we just we've had a little bit of a uh, little bit of biblical anthropology mm-hmm. in our episode today Anyways, Matt, please continue with uh, Alexandra Reeve Givens. Let's, we'll get uh, let, to her. Let's hear what she has to say. Yeah. yeah. So here's the CEO for the Center for Democracy and Technology, an organization that purports to fight for civil rights and civil liberties in the digital age, which is a euphemism, obviously, for protecting progressives and Marxists from hateful rhetoric from Christians and, you know, historical Western thought and all the principles that Western civilization were built on, you know, that's what they exist to do. Uh, so mm-hmm. this is uh, her talking about a role, um, the, the part of me, the role that big tech plays in censorship. So watch it. So we're in this bizarre environment where right as the threats are ticking up, the investments uh, in actually doing the, the day-to-day work of online trust and safety for our information environment is being scaled back and is under attack. And those are all things we need to recalibrate right now to try and address the threats. And just quickly, how? 
There's that word. Yeah, Andrew. so we have to have the the social media keep, companies keep up the work. There are really important lessons. Is that, there a way to force them to do that? Push them to do that? Uh, you get them to places like Davos, and you have them talk about the work. <laughs> uh, you know, right now, there's a go. lot of it. Sadly, Ooh, is in, is. in the you know the the staffing and decisions of companies, making sure they're putting in those investments, people don't want making it. sure that they're sharing information, that they're doing it not just for the U.S. election, but for the other elections around the world. Um, you know, yeah. that, that has to stay election, a key eh? focus, yeah. even if there is political pressure. There are important learns, lessons that we learn. So interesting. She says, hey, in this public-private partnership of big tech and governments, we have to implement these things, even if there's political backlash. So what mm -hmm. she's saying, people, don't get it twisted. She's saying... We have to do this as the global overlords, even if our constituents hate it, even if businesses are saying, this is nonsense, I'm not paying any more for a, a HR rep to tell everybody in my company that they're racist, horrible, and evil, and make everybody depressed and want to kill themselves. I'm not doing that anymore. You know, but what she's saying is, despite you know all this, the pushback, we still need to tyrannize the people by pushing this down. And we need to yep. do it through public-private partnerships, through the back door, not just through government. That's what she's saying. Don't get it twisted. And after 2016, right? Social media companies learned about how you track mis- and disinformation campaigns, what coordinated inauthentic activity looks like on a network, how you put breaks in, how when you know a rumor is flying, you get people to check whether or not, uh, you know, have you read this article before you forward it? Fact-checking programs. That architecture, it hasn't been a silver bullet by a long shot, but at least that architecture has been in place. And there's an entire academic field now that it studies this and analyzes and, what it is. And it should be, it should be noted that... <laughs> It was used to suppress the Hunter right. Biden laptop situation, <laughs> and it was used to forward and foment misinformation surrounding uh, yeah. Donald Trump and the because steel for, Because for these people, the truth is not the truth. The truth is whatever narrative that needs to, whatever narrative needs to be crafted to further the agenda. And, that's truth, mm -hmm. and anything that's actual truth. Yes. is misinformation or disinformation. Yes, because the truth is what they want want it to be and they want what they want you to think. And that's why I said the issue's never the issue, the issue's always the revolution and whatever truth serves its best interest in in that moment. We have to keep that in mind. Interventions might look like we have to make sure that those interventions are still in place this year as a bare minimum for us to be able to navigate this landscape. Mm. Oh, man, what a despicable person. And she says it in mm -hmm. benign corporate talk. Mm -hmm. And I mean, maybe she's maybe she's got a genuine concern. Maybe she isn't just a horrible tyrant. But I think she's just so she just swims in an ecosystem where all this stuff is so normal that she doesn't mm -hmm. see how awful and terrible it is and an evil truly evil it is but i don't know anyways i don't want to peter motives finally we have one more clip uh and what would davos be without some fear mongering um especially urging nations to be a globe to, towards a globalist solution to all their problems and reminding us now, now, or to, yesterday was the time to act. Um, and, and, you know, 
trust us again, you know, as for the theme, you know, I know we killed your trust and we did a horrible things that ruined our institutional reputations and stuff, but give us our trust. So then we can save <laughs> you from, from the emergency that is, is it was yesterday. You need us. You need us. Rising global temperatures, a still fragile economy and a deteriorating security landscape are challenges that oh, are I not see you Vols uh, hanging out in the middle there. Is he? Mm -hmm. They yeah. affect us all. There's no longer such a thing as a country company or community insulated from global shocks. And when it comes to leveraging opportunities, it is not possible to do so alone. Yet, we know the foundation of cooperation, trust, has been eroding in recent years, which is why this week's meeting on rebuilding trust has been so important. Andrew, I, just before we move on, um, I want to go back to actually what Schwab said. He said, our conference is on rebuilding trust because people have lost trust in the institution. But notice where he put the emphasis. It wasn't on the fact that they committed institutional suicide by eroding the tr their trust by, you know, ideological capture by, you know, tyrannical dictates and decrees uh, through this public-private partnership that we saw really put in full force during COVID. No, that wasn't the problem. The problem was that the pandemic sent shockwaves through our, our world and mm -hmm. that it created an egoism. It created people to shrink in on themselves. And the reason we have to build trust is because you idiots... You're too egoistic. You're too self-centered. You're too individualistic. So we need to tell you that there's a huge emergency and you're all going to die if we don't help you. <laughs> like mm -hmm. that's he, 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 for Schwab, even the fact that they have to do this rebuilding trust, um, you know, uh, emphasis on, in Davos this year, it should come as a humbling experience. But you notice he still puts the fault at the feet of the people and not mm -hmm. the fault at the, the their entire yeah. fascistic did, pro did, did process. No one, no one is, no one is immune or no one is unaffected by these global issues. But the truth is. No, that's it's no one is uh, what they want is that no one is safe from globalism, right? That no one's immune to these global issues. Actually, if you if 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 as a as a as an ideology from the top down, if you're if your kind of main if you're if your prime directive is let responsible people be responsible for their own lives and don't impose on them more than you need to. Things actually work out pretty well. So if the response, if if, if a state, if a, a federal government says, we will do the bare minimum that's that, that's required of us to govern, we're going to let people be responsible with their time, with their money, with their resources, and we're not going to ram things down their throat. Educate your kids, exercise charity, healthcare, industry, economy, do your thing. Let the market sort it out. That will lead to the flourishing of a nation. And if in a family, same thing, if in a family, it's not unnecessary rules to burden children, but rather an environment where we can grow and flourish, that's good. So from the top down, if the if the mentality is we're actually going to be a little more hands off and we're going to engage well, that'll be well as it works its way down. Mm -hmm. So what they're saying is 
the way to make countries better is by getting our hands on it because mm -hmm. these global issues harm us all. Mm -hmm. But all these global issues are much better managed. We're able to wade these wading these waters way better and, and navigate all of these yes, global yes. crises. Yeah. If you just leave us alone, I can be responsible for myself. I can no. figure out my own health. Just Absolutely. leave me alone. Absolutely. It's, they're, they're, they're doing a, a bait and switch. Yeah. Well, saying the problem is global issues, but it's globalism is the problem. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like, because they're globalists, every problem that they see has globalism as its, its solution, right? right. It, we would not deny the fact that global issues have impact both nationally, uh, both uh, locally, municipally, both in our families and individually. Absolutely, these things have. But what you have just said, Andrew, is the true case that when you make your entire economy based on the global economy, and you don't have intermediary, subsidiary institutions that are strong, functioning, flourishing, then you've created a global house of cards. But if if the subsidiary um, institutions are the most important part, then you can be relatively insulated from economic activity going on in other areas of the world which is clearly the case because mm -hmm. we still have developed countries and undeveloped countries. The developed yeah. countries were those who focused on free market principles and developed at a far greater rate, rate than other countries around the globe that even though we're connected globally and you know certainly our economies all are interconnected in that way, still US economy was flourishing, Canadian economy flourishing, despite how terrible South America's economy is, and despite the okay. insanity of many communist nations and everything. So it isn't, uh, I, I think it's really important to get at what you're, he's saying, because we're globally connected, the only solution is a global solution. But what you're the saying, global Andrew, problems are so harmful. Yes. But what you're saying uh, is actually, no, the problem is the globalist uh, mindset. Yep. The problem is trying to fix all these things globally. Whereas if we allow these subsidiary institutions to yep. do their thing globally, yep. we'll be much better off. Every yeah. single nation in the world would have fared much better and had much less collateral damage if they simply took this posture during the COVID-19 yeah. era. We're going to let you make responsible decisions. Mm -hmm. We advise you, if you're sick, stay home, which we, which has been the rule since forever. When has mm -hmm. that never been the rule? No, no, come to school if you're vomiting uncontrollably. No, if you're sick, stay home. Be responsible for your own health. And, uh, and and that's it. If every country took that posture, like Sweden, for example, mm -hmm. what do we see? Sweden was the only European nation that didn't see a huge drop in their GDP. Sweden mm -hmm. was the only European nation that the economic bounce back was interest. It was instant. They're the only the, 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 the amount of actual devastation brought on. The heavy handedness of COVID led to more deaths, more illnesses, destroyed mm -hmm. economy, Increase in, in mental illness, all this stuff. So every country would have been better. And this is where it's counterintuitive because the pagan mind sees pagan solutions to pagan problems. Mm -hmm. But the, the yeah. mind that is renewed in Christ yeah. understands that God's solution 
seems counterintuitive to those who are in the flesh, but actually yields a greater result mm -hmm. because the real solution to the problem would have been, here's what we see, here's what we advise, you make responsible decisions, we're not going to shut everything down. People mm -hmm. would have freaked out. What do you mean? You need to protect us. But that actually would have been better. It would have been better for everyone if we just let people be responsible and focused more on not just individuals, but these mm -hmm. smaller communities, these smaller spheres. That would have been mm -hmm. way better. So the, the answer to global problems is a, and it's like I said at the lead into this episode, the antidote to globalism and even the antidote to global problems, pandemic, economic, governmental, mm -hmm. the answer is think smaller, focus on individual responsibility. That's the way God's made the world to work. Mm -hmm. Let's move on. Let's move on. Are you sick and tired of listening to our banks and other government-sponsored institutions parroting the same old status words like safe and effective, ESG, diversity, inclusivity, and equity? I mean, do you really think that they're looking out for your investments when they can't even define what a woman is and when they're okay with 50-year-old men swimming in swim meets with 13-year-old girls? Of course they can't. So you need to check out our friends at Rocklink Investment Partners. They're an independent Christian firm focused on managing your investments as long-term value investors. They're not caught up in the bureaucracy of the woke financial institutions. They're comfortable going against the crowd and speaking up for their Christian values. That's why we are thrilled to continue a partnership with Rocklink and really one of the reasons why they were our very first advertising partner. So give them a call. 905-631-5462 or email them at info at rocklink.com. That's link with a C. Let's wrap things up a little bit. Absolutely. So Davos certainly had its share of climate cult propaganda, but instead of digging too much into that, because you, you know that's there, and there were, there were elements of that, especially the WF president, Borgay, can't remember what his last name is. It's, I don't know, he sounds like a, a Bond villain or the bad guys mm -hmm. from from um, from Die Hard, but you you have some. We, we've teased at some of it, but rather than than focus on the WEF climate cult propaganda, we figured why not highlight some environmental Marxism in our own country and in the United States and UK. There's plenty to go around. We don't have to go all the way to Switzerland. Mm -hmm. We can stay here in North America and just kind of touch down a little bit in the UK. Um, because according to both the president of the United States of America, but sorry, Barack Obama is the president of the United States of America. Joe Biden <laughs> just happens to be the, the, the puppet mouthpiece. He's mm -hmm. a ventriloquist dummy. Obama's pulling the strings. It's Obama so 3.0. Yeah. According to president Obama and his, uh, his avatar, Joe Biden, really old puppet. And <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and his press mouthpiece, the press secretary, climate change, as you'll see, of course, is the greatest existential threat in history. That's what they're going to tell you. We have to fight for clean air in our communities and to lower costs for American families, including energy costs. Today's pause on new natural gas export approvals recognizes the climate crisis for what it is, the mm. existential threat of our time. The science is clear. Climate change is an existential threat of our time. So today, oh man, the existential threat of our time. Now, what he's talking about in that video is is new kind of gas. Basically, what he's saying is 
we are going to rob our country of real economic growth and the mm -hmm. kind of thing that will be a blessing to us in order to save us from the boogeyman mm -hmm. climate change. That's yep. what he's saying. Now, so that's what you're getting from from the mouthpieces and from the, the person who holds the highest office in the United States and his ventriloquist dummy. That's what you're getting <laughs> from them in the States. So let's uh, any anywhere else. Sure. Yeah. Well, the Toronto Star continues to do the good work of being status propaganda with a piece titled, and this should be a little little shiver in the spine here, quote, what are Canadians willing to sacrifice in the fight against climate change, close quote. And what's the subtitle? Quote, the Canadian government's team of behavioral scientists is turning its attention from the pandemic to climate change, close quote. And what's interesting there is I think there's a little bit of a Freudian slip because they just said the Canadian, the Canadian government's team of behavioral scientists are going from the pandemic to climate change. But what they really meant is the focus of our tyranny is now going from the pandemic to climate change. We just want to let everyone know this is the next threat that we're, we're going to scare you with. Now, the article begins with these words. And I would actually encourage you Dude, this sounds not to read the whole article. <laughs> this yeah. I'm this you not is straight the from article. the Great Reset. Like, like, yeah. come on, Toronto Star. Yeah. Are don't, you kidding me? Don't read the whole article because, like I've said before, the Toronto Star is not worthy to be used as toilet paper, mm -hmm. let alone. We do have it linked read. in the description below, though, if yes. you want to read it yeah. all. Yeah. But, but, but you don't have to. We just want to yeah. prove yeah. where I'm making it up. But mm -hmm. for the sake of your soul, don't actually read the article. It's probably better for you. Everything you need to know is going to be in the next two minutes. So it begins with these words. The COVID pandemic was a large scale test for governments around the world, but also for citizens and not just for their endurance. For three long years, governments got a chance to see just how much citizens were willing to sacrifice for a larger good. Andrew, are they saying the quiet part out loud? <laughs> But what what they but here I think what they're trying to imply is, but it wasn't their intent, right? That wasn't their intention. It's just a it's just a, it happened to be a happy byproduct that yeah. oh governments happen to see now. But but again, there's a little bit of Freudian slip because what we're saying is no no no, they was, they they pressed it was the test. way they did to see. Right? Yeah, it they wasn't a test of their resolve. It was a test of our resolve. That yes. that was the point by design. That's yes. what they did. Now, we're not saying that the virus was released for that end. What I am saying is that states took advantage of it in order to test how much can we get away with. So this is the article continues. Much of the behavior change was impressive. I'm really glad. I'm glad that she would say permanent psychological damage and people who are never coming back to being normal again. I'm glad. I'm happy she would call that impressive. So from people rolling up their sleeves and donning masks to putting family gatherings on hold. Now, the idea is that considering what Canadians gave up for COVID, and this is really the whole goal of the, the article, which is why you don't have to read it because it's garbage, but I'll, I'll tell you in summary, considering what Canadians were willing to give up for COVID, which the list, though not exhaustive, includes freedom of assembly, freedom of travel, freedom of association and freedom of speech just as a little sample platter for what Canadians were willing to give up, willing to give up gladly, joyfully 
willing to give up during COVID. The question that the article wants to answer is, what would they be willing to give up for the greatest threat, climate change, right? I mm-hmm. wonder what else. And so that's what she's asking. What mm-hmm. if they give up? If they give all this up for for COVID, which okay, whatever, it was bad. Even mm-hmm. though during the time they told us it was the end, mm-hmm. right? They hey, COVID, we made it through it, but now the real the real threat is on the horizon. Andrew, so if you it- gave all this up during COVID, what are you going to be willing to give up? For the real scary climate change. Well, it should be noted here. Remember Justin's Trudeau's. We, we we've this fits really well with what we've been talking about the whole time uh, in God's providence, the Sinaification of of the world. Who? What country did Justin Trudeau say that he admired before he was an elected official in in 2015? He said China, the basic dictatorship of China. Why, Andrew? Because their ability as a government to completely change and mold the direction of their society on a whim mm-hmm. because they have tyrannical control. That's essentially what this article is highlighting. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, our countries used the, the COVID pandemic, although they're going to frame it in a different light entirely, as you say, to as a test to see how much they can mold and shape human behavior. And if Mm -hmm. for COVID, why not for climate change, if it is truly the existential threat that we're all being told that it is. One of the questions I have is if Canadians willingly offered up freedom of assembly, freedom of travel, freedom of association and freedom of speech. And the federal government knows that Mm -hmm. they know now what they can get from people. If the threat is great enough. Yeah. The question I have is not, not what will Canadians be willing to give up? So, and that's the question the article is asking is, what are Canadians going to be willing to give up for climate change? That's actually not the question that I'm concerned with, which again is why you don't need to read the article. The real question we need to ask is, having seen what they did during the COVID era, what else What else is the state expecting us to give up in order to save the planet? Can, what can, are they planning on? What are they planning on attempting to take yeah. from us this time? Yeah. What's their play this time if yeah. it means saving the planet? That's the question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can I just before we move on, and we have other uh, like I have another doozy on the, the horizon here. How disturbing is it that our federal government employs a team? of behavioral scientists to what mold judge detect the behavior that is gross that mm-hmm. is big brother on steroids <laughs> why right. is there, why does the canadian government need a team of behavioral scientists to mold and shape canadian citizens behaviors that is so gross so inappropriate if i were in government i would be going directly at that because well the reason why matt the reason why they the reason why they need that team is because unlike the party in 1984 the ministry of truth doesn't have cameras and microphones everywhere recording so (laughs) they they don't they can't say definitively we know for a fact what Canadians think and do and believe and their intentions. They don't know that for a fact. So because they don't have that, as you said, yet, what they need is they need a team of experts 
to do a little bit of pre-crime work to deduce <laughs> what's really going on in the hearts of minds and Canadians and tell us how we're feeling and what we should be doing because yeah. they're just waiting to set up all the microphones and all of the <laughs> telescreens everywhere which they're already they're doing a really good job of it so far i mean the number of red light cameras and the number of cameras and speeding traps that are being set up all around major cities in canada they're really they're on they are on pace to making sure that they can see and hear everything we say and do and everywhere we go it really won't be that long before they're able to put that into place so don't they're working they're that team of behavioral scientists mm -hmm. They're only going to have a job for so long, and eventually they'll just move over into the Ministry of Truth via re-education, and then they'll be re-educating all the people who break all of the laws because of all the surveillance that's that's already there. So they have a job for now, but eventually they'll have a different job. So that's yeah. just so we're letting them know that's the play. Okay, well, we got to press on because we still have some stuff to cover. So here's another doozy. Uh, this is from The Telegraph, and the title of the piece is carbon footprint of homegrown foods five times greater than those grown conventionally it used to be that homegrown foods were the conventional uh but anyways uh the article suggests that growing your own food get this is uh in allotment may be not as good for the environment as expected uh and they base this on a study of course if the experts say it well, we know that it must be true. The study found individual garden infrastructure is responsible for increased levels of CO2. Wouldn't want that. We're all going to die. It's pollution, despite us being carbon-based life forms and needing it to survive. Nevertheless, so first, <laughs> our liberties and freedoms, then our ability to grow our own food uh, are being questioned and coming after and... You know, the question is, what else do they want us to give up? Um, that we've talked about a lot in our shows. And apparently what else they want us to give up is the ability to travel the way that we want to, of course, because that's only for the elites with their private jets. Here is from an article from Cosmos titled, quote, to avoid the worst of climate change, we have to change how we travel. That's where they're going next. Get ready to not be able to go where you want, when you want, the way that you want, because the travel industry must be disrupted and dismantled. Uh, in September last year, I embarked on a five-week trip, this is from the story, throughout Italy and France. But while I budgeted for the monetary costs associated with the trip, I neglected, oh, silly you, to consider another crucial one, the carbon cost. Thankfully, they're going to have technologies that'll do that for you and that will limit your ability to do all these things through apps and tracking and stuff like that. Uh, so you won't you won't have to have that uh, psychological burden in, in the future. Anyways, continue on. Humans are changing the Earth's climate. It is estimated our activities have caused about one degree Celsius for additional atmospheric warming since the Industrial Revolution. Tourism is a major contributor to climate change. According to Peters, at least 5% of global CO2 emissions comes from tourism and travel, with some estimates as high as 8 
to 11% if you include indirect supply chain emissions. These emissions are inequitable. About half of the global tourism footprint is caused by travel between the richest countries. If global tourism continues unchanged, it is predicted to increase emissions by 73%, all these crazy modeling, by 2015 compared to 2019. In this scenario, which is assuredly not true and false because all these models are garbage in, garbage out, uh, according to the story, the sector will use over 66% of the world's remaining carbon budget between, I mean, okay, 2023 and 2100. So what will this mean for my travel habits in the coming years? If, uh, if further isn't better, it will likely involve a switch in mindset to consider whether an alternative, less carbon intensive mode of transport exists to reach the destination I have in mind. According to Peters, even one fewer person sitting in an aircraft seat it can measurably change its emissions. It doesn't mean that I have to give up travel, just change my perspective on what makes a worthy destination. There you go. It doesn't Andrew. mean it doesn't mean you're not allowed to travel. It just means your backyard's as far as you can go <laughs> outside of your zone. Yeah. Right? Now yeah. where have we heard this language before? We're not saying your church can't meet to worship. Mm -hmm. We're just saying you can't have a hundred percent of you. Yeah. We're just saying you can't sing. We're just saying you can't celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're just saying you can't. We're not saying you can't run your business. We're just saying you can only have three people in your hardware shop at a time. And right? Andrew, and, and it what, just what was the it, consequence of all of those? Yeah. Destruction. Mm -hmm. Despair, and the ruin of lives and livelihood. When they say, we're not saying you can't do it. We're just saying you have to do it the way we say, and then you'll, then you'll be happy. Yeah. And it, it's, it's just on me too. Like, I think our misunderstanding of what the church is as the gathered assembly of God's people in a specific locale is at the heart of that, right? Like church is this building mm -hmm. that we go to. So we're not saying that your church can't gather, but your church can't gather, right? We were accepting a false idea, a misunderstanding of what the church is in order to justify limiting the church gathering. But if we mm -hmm. understood that the church is the gathered together assembly of the saints, then saying that you cannot gather the church together is stopping the church from gathering together. You could have 10 people in the building, sure, but that's not the church, right? If mm. <laughs> if you're preventing most of your members from not attending or half the members for not attending, you're not gathering the church. That's something else that you're doing, but it's not gathering the church. And it's mm. amazing how we allowed them to redefine the church in an unbiblical way in order to justify going along in many cases, like many churches with these inane restrictions. But anyways, Andrew, we we've been going long, so we should uh, press forward. Um, and there's so much that we could say about carbon tax, climate change, everything, but we should, um, we should focus on showing you a very, very good video that will be something like, you know, a bit of mouthwash to rinse out the globalist climate cult flavor out of your mouth and make you feel better. And this is from Australian broadcaster Alan Jones, who 
is doing the work of a real journalist and asking <laughs> pointed and difficult questions about whether climate change is really the threat that everybody says it is. And I think it's it's brilliant clip. So let Alan do the heavy lifting. What is climate change? I mean, I think the question that the young lady asked over here is very valid. Young people are highly intelligent, but I wonder whether they're being told, or which they're entitled to, all the facts in relation to this. Oh my when I asked, well, just about Alice, you, you've been speaking for most of the night. When I, when, when I, when I asked Tanya Plibersek, was the deputy leader of the Labor Party no and the melting. potential deputy prime yeah. minister. Histrionics oh. aside, it, it, just watch oh, how no. histrionics aside, right? Like, because that's that's her point. She's trying to make a point by, you know, over dramatic behavior. But watch how he just he'll melt her with one mm -hmm. simple question, and it's brilliant. So let's watch this play out. Was carbon dioxide the big issue in relation to climate change? And she said yes. I then said, well, that being the case, what percentage of the atmosphere? is made up of carbon dioxide. What is causing climate change? Is it carbon dioxide? Uh, yes, um, carbon dioxide pollution is a major contributor. Okay, so can I ask you, this is not a, a trick question, what percentage of the Earth's air is carbon dioxide? Oh, I don't know. And I say, hang on, you don't know what percentage of the atmosphere is carbon dioxide, and yet you're prepared to stand the economy on its head to address a problem, the detail of which you don't know. So when I then explain that the percentage of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, Alice, is how much? Alice, how much of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere? To answer Alice? the question, Scott Morrison has said he believes in climate much? change Alice, and that much? he wants to do something about Alice, it. Alice, how much? Huh, that's not the question that he asked. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I guess her, her hearing isn't working. She should get that checked. Carbon dioxide's the problem. How much carbon dioxide is there in the atmosphere? I'm not a scientist. Too much. I don't oh. know. I'm a well, hang on. If you're going to argue the case, you ought to know. It's 0.04 of a percent. And of that 0.04 of a percent, human beings around the world create 3%. And of that 3%, Australia creates 1.3%. But if carbon dioxide is 0.04% of the atmosphere, and human beings are responsible for 3% of that 0.04%, and Australia's responsible for... 1.3% of the 3% of the 0.04%. It's like saying there's a granule of sugar on the Harbour Bridge. Clean the bridge up, it's dirty. Surely if a political party doesn't know the quantum of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, what the hell are we standing the economy on its head for? Demonising coal-fired power, driving everyone into renewable energy, which is not available, not reliable and not affordable, plonking us in electric cars, giving us nearly the dearest electricity in the world when we're rich in energy resources, exporting coal so that China and India and Japan can have cheap electricity, and we sit here swallowing this ideological rubbish, putting industry at risk, jobs at risk, and burying the economy. Boom. We've said it on the program before. For the sake of time, we won't go long. Carbon taxes, all this stuff, it's not a tax on pollution as the Trudeau regime would have you mm -hmm. believe it's a virtue signaling tax. And the same case that is true in Australia is it's even more true about Canada. It's even more true about Canada. And the funny part is guess who recognizes Canada is pretty good at creating clean energy, even without the inane plans that they wanted to want to impose on Canadians. 
it was Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland. Mm -hmm. This, our governments through command and control are, have destroyed free market systems through public private partnerships, through, you know, power brokers like the WEF, they've instituted fascistic rule in our nations and our economy. And they are pressing us forward to mm -hmm. poverty and destruction and despair because they're going, they're kicking against the goads. They're going against God's good design for um, human flourishing. And the question is, do we have enough spine and political will as individuals, as families, as churches, as Canadians to push back against this globalist mm -hmm. takeover of our many of our institutions or are we going to let them have their way are we going to be a cog in the wheel a dead body is swimming down the stream uh, into this morass of globalism or are we going to stand up speak out and push back that is mm -hmm. the question that we have to ask ourselves and those are we have to take actions toward that end andrew and maybe you can help us understand some of the stuff that we have to do really quick yeah, the the uh, the answer is actually not fighting the way that the pagans fight, and the answer might seem counterintuitive because for some, when you when you think about the influence of institutions like the WEF upon nations of the world, for some the answer is okay. Well, we need to depose them, we need to have a Nuremberg 2.0, and we need to hold them all to account, and we need to whatever do whatever we need to do to get them out of power. I don't know how you would necessarily do that. That's kind of pie in the sky, but okay, whatever. We need to depose them or we need to we need to cast off the shackles of our current Marxist government and we need to vote in the right people as opposed to the wrong people and anything other than the liberals. And we have all these ideas for how we're going to fix the problem. And it's, it's it may seem counterintuitive, but the answer is not that. Now, other people on the other end would say, well, it's the end. Get your rapture pack. Here we go, or stock up. Make sure you have five years worth of shampoo and your bomb shelter is ready to go. And so you have these two extremes, which are hyper inaction and hyper retreatism, or an over. It's almost kind of, kind of a little bit on revolution, a little bit of overthrowing and being done with. And neither of those are the answer. And the answer is is kind of counterintuitive. And it's like I said at the beginning. The, the antidote to globalism is localism. It's individual responsibility. The way that we are going to actually fight off the globalists is by taking responsibility for our own lives and our own families. It's by gathering with other responsible, like-minded people in churches and building strong local communities. Like, it's really simple. It's very simple in principle and counterintuitive because we want big flashy sexy immediate answers to the problem but that's mm -hmm. how the that's how the progressive thinks that's how the progressives yeah. think it's yeah. a slow it's it's it is a it is a faithful mm -hmm. consistent diligent obedience in like if you if you want to deal with the looming mm -hmm. economic collapse and food shortage mm -hmm. it's not making sure that the bomb shelter is stocked up. It's making sure that you are in a position surrounded by people where you're able to provide for one another, where you're able to thrive. The answer is not, right? Think about the parable of the talents. 
the answer is not bury what you have to keep it safe. Mm -hmm. The answer actually is be entrepreneurial. The mm -hmm. answer is build, create, make true, good, and beautiful things. So again, mm -hmm. it seems counterintuitive. It seems that we need one of these extremes, hide it, get away, duck and cover, let the bombs fall. We'll come out in 75 years when everything's mm -hmm. better, or we need to tear the whole thing down. But the answer is a faithful obedience that Lord willing will lead to a kind of reformation and revival. Yeah. And even if it doesn't, even if it's, even if we see the utter collapse of our culture, we will be able to rebuild and we will be able to thrive if we obey Christ and we understand that he's made the world to work a certain way. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't fall into one of these two traps. Mm -hmm. Don't look for the instant revolutionary answer. And mm -hmm. don't think that by, by getting your bomb shelter, everything will be fine. You need to engage. You need to use your resources wisely, use your time wisely, build things, create things, focus small on your community. This is how this is how we win in the culture. This is how we will be able to be effective and fruitful for generations. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Uh, well said. Worship is warfare. Every time you pick up that Bible around the dinner table and you read from Scripture to your children, every time you sing hymns, uh, you're engaged in the culture war and it's truly mm -hmm. the culture war that is the important battleground for our society because you can't change culture politically you have to change it culturally um, and that's the battleground of our day and age and far from shrinking back against that um, like so many conservatives want to do um, because they're they're nice sensibilities we have to engage at that that level and that's why despite our show being a political show our answers are always long-term envision and cultural mm. in nature in, in nature because that's truly how uh, we're going to make uh, a change in our society and guess what political action can be a part of a culture as well so uh we're hoping that mm -hmm. the lord works through you and in you and with your family uh to reform and revive your lives uh, that we might see a nation full of transformed people in transformed families living for the glory of god and that is our hope because it's for freedom christ has set you free stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery until next time Liberty Dispatch has been brought to you in partnership with Liberty Coalition Canada and Christian Week and has been produced by SDG Media. You can find all things Liberty Coalition Canada at libertycoalitioncanada.com.